Hi, Mouse Planeteers, and welcome to Mouse Station. In the orbit around Mouse Planet, I'm Mike Demopolis, a former Walt Disney World cast member. And I'm Mark Goldhaber, editor and staff writer here at MousePlanet.com. And it's starting to rain outside here. This is episode number 23 for June 24th, 2007. Welcome to the podcast. Each week, we broadcast live from this orbital outpost, bringing you the latest from the world of Mouse Planet. You can send us feedback by sending email to podcast at mouseplanet.com or by calling our toll-free feedback line at 1-866-939-2278. We love it when you call the feedback line because then we can play your call on the show. As always, we'd like to also thank our sponsor, Small World Vacations, Mouse Planet's preferred Disney travel provider. You can find them on the web at www.vacations.com. In this week's feature, we've got a report from the blue carpet at the grand opening of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage at Disneyland. And now, as long as this doesn't turn into a thunderstorm, on with the show. Now it's time for the tip of the week. Hey Mark, guess what? We have a tip of the week from a listener. Woohoo! And you know what? We've even got a second one lined up. Coming up in the future episode. They're coming in. Yes, keep those tips coming. See, folks, you'll see how much more quality the tips are if you provide them and we don't. So we'll tell you how to send in those tips in just a second. But this week's tip comes from Tony Dimitri. Tony sent us an email that says, If anyone is like me and drives 150 miles per day during the work week, then they too might absolutely refuse to get a car while on vacation if they don't have to. So while at the world, we rely on Disney transportation. We often like to go resort hopping for lunch or dinners or just for fun. This trip we stayed at Saratoga Springs and Congress Park. This is an awesome location because if you want to go to any park, there's a bus stop right there. And if you want to go to any other resort, it's a quick five-minute walk to Marketplace's bus stop to catch a bus in that direction. Also, if you want to go catch a meal at Artist's Palette or at the Turf Club... All the resort buses stop at the Springs after Congress Park, so you can pretty much catch any bus at any time to go to the main buildings of the resort. Hey, that's that's a great tip. We um, I use Walt Disney World Transportation, and I kind of use a, a edited version of that tip when I want to go to um, Downtown Disney or do a transfer at Downtown Disney easily. Um, I just usually go to try to get to Saratoga Springs. Instead of going to any other resort, if the bus is, as long as it didn't just leave, get off at Congress Park and just walk to Downtown Disney in exchange of having to go to like another resort and then wait for the Downtown Disney bus that way. And um, while Tony mentioned that uh, all buses stop at the Springs after Congress Park, that's not entirely true. The Downtown Disney bus actually has a different loop than all of the other buses. The Downtown Disney bus starts at Congress Park, and ends at Congress Park. So the first stop of that bus is at Congress Park. It goes around the resort, back to Congress Park, and then out to Downtown Disney. So the second time the Downtown Disney bus passes through, it's actually going straight there from the Springs. Thinking about it, I think that when it stops at Congress Park coming from downtown Disney, it may say internal or something like that. And then when it goes back and it stops at Congress Park the second time, then it says downtown Disney. And that's our tip of the week. 
Do you have a tip to share with our listeners? Send it into podcast at mouseplanet.com or call it into our toll-free feedback line at 1-866-939-2278. We'll give you credit on air if we use your suggestion. Mouse Station Featured Topic Now, before we get into the main feature, we have an added feature this year. We've got a clip from the What's New, What's Next presentation at the Nemo premiere, which features Tom Fitzgerald talking about Toy Story Midway Mania. This is pretty much the same presentation that Tom did at the press event in Florida in January. And it's a pretty good rundown of what Toy Story Midway Mania is all about. And at one point, you can hear a little bit of the um, test version of the attraction running on a screen behind him. So let's go to the audio. I'm very happy today to be able to tell you about our newest attraction that we're working on right now. It's all about your favorite Toy Story characters. It's all about manic gameplay. And so we call it Toy Story Mania. Toy Story Mania is the next generation interactive ride game experience for the whole family, which means that you'll have as much fun as your kids, even though they're beating the pants off you. <laughs> However, if you know some Imagineers, we may be able to part with some of the secret targets in the game so you can really impress your kids. Now this attraction is inspired by the classic Carnival Midway games, only this time the games are all manned by your favorite Toy Story characters. It starts off in the queue with one of your favorites, Mr. Potato Head. In this attraction, Mr. Potato Head is a big carnival barker, larger than life-size, who will invite you and your kids to step right up and test your skills. Now, Mr. Potato Head is one of our newest living characters, which means, just like Turtle Talk with Crush, he'll be able to talk and joke around with you and your kids in real time. It's real magic. But when you get up to the ride itself, You'll put on your 3D glasses, and you'll step into your eight-passenger vehicle. You'll shrink to the size of the toy, and off you'll go. Each of the games in Toy Story Mania features unique objects that you shoot from a toy cannon. Imagine it's virtual ammunition. For example, you might start by knocking down barnyard animals by shooting eggs with ham and eggs. And the Toy Story characters are there to cheer you on as you do. They'll also give you some hints as to where some of the hidden targets are. And as you can imagine, our Imagineers will be adding more of those targets as time goes on, so the attraction will always remain surprising for repeat guests. We're also going to have the 4D effects that you know and have come to love from our attractions. Water, air, and other surprises. Lots of games follow, and so each one is different and unique. And right now, our colleagues at Pixar and our Imagineers are working together to come up with these games to make sure they're as much fun as possible for you to play. Now, the one thing that's different about this from normal carnival games is that everyone's a winner. I mean, this is a Disney ride after all. And we have been playtesting this up at Imagineering with kids from 3 to 93, and everybody loves it. It is such a home run. If you love Buzz Lightyear, you're going to go crazy over Toy Story Mania. So we hope you'll come back and join us next summer as Toy Story Mania debuts at Disney's California Adventure. Now, that's the first time you've heard that audio, right, Mike? Yes, it was the first time that I heard that audio. It sounds like a great attraction. I, I have faith in Disney, and the attraction looks great. But a Spider-Man Killer? Ugh, it's tough to say. I'll have to wait to see, try it out for myself. Because 
Spider-Man's a great attraction, but I'm really excited for Midway Mania, and the interactivity will be fun. And now, we're going to get into our featured topic. This week, we've got a report from the blue carpet at the grand opening of the Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage at Disneyland. Let's send it out to Stephen Ng and Adrienne Vincent Phoenix on the West Coast. Secure ship for sea. Make all preparations for getting underway. Single up all lines. Cast off forward. Cast off aft. Clear the bridge. Secure hatches and vents. Standby engines. Ship rigged for getting underway. Hello. This is Stephen Ng, your host for Mouse Planet's coverage of the grand opening of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage at Disneyland. This past Sunday... Mouse Planet's Adrian Vincent Phoenix was at the Disneyland Park to report on the festivities surrounding the grand opening of the new attraction. The event marked the return of the subs after being mothballed for nearly 10 years. On Sunday, Adrian had the opportunity to talk with Eric Jacobson, Senior Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering. They talked about the challenges of returning the subs to Disneyland. Talk to me about Nemo. You guys, I mean, what was the hardest thing about bringing the subs back to the lagoon? Well, first, let me um, start by saying, sure. um, no, but my responsibilities, I'm the, the lead creative guy for Disneyland Resort and Walt Disney World Resort. Right. So I'm working on multiple, multiple things. So I was not a day-to-day designer okay. on the rides. But I'm going to speak for the team. But okay. if you want really specific stuff, you might get... Like Tony Baxter, Kathy Mangum, somebody who's in the trenches okay, every day. But I, but I don't mean to say that I'm no, not no, going to be helpful good. to you. No, anyway, I think I think the the and it was actually really a breakthrough um, for us. The most difficult thing was how to bring the extremely lifelike and really you know warm and friendly characters and believable characters of Finding Nemo to life in a dimensional way within this environment. And so we really struggled with you know because we didn't want to do all audio animatronic figures we didn't want to do and we wanted to be very magical so our R&D department got, had that gauntlet thrown down if you will you know how can we do this and they worked on many many different ideas for this great new imaging technique that allows us to actually believe that Nemo and his friends as they appear in the movie are swimming in our water filled environment so that was probably the biggest challenge and other than that just working underwater <laughs> and working basically in a giant swimming pool towards the end is of course a huge challenge um, what effect was the hardest to pull off? I mean, is there something on the ride that looks like deceptively easy and was just impossible to do? Um, I think, like I said, I think that the, the first thing I said, which is how to how to make the characters feel dimensional, feel like they were from the movie and not some other technique, right. and have them appear to be underwater with the three dimensional um, sets. And I think that was that was like that until we figured that out. We didn't want to say, okay, let's do the sub run. You know? And we knew also bringing back the subs, we thought was really important for us as Imagineers and for our fans that love the subs. But we knew that to bring it back, it had to be way over the top from what it was before and have a new fresh angle for today's audience. So the, the, the Nemo movie and the special effects that we developed to pull off the characters um, you know, really said, okay, okay let's go do it. What type of effects were you guys considering before you came up with like the aha moment of the projection? I think, well, I mean, I, I think you naturally would assume that we would do audio electronic figures because that's what we've done for, you know, since the Tiki Room. And, and not that we've never done anything else, but that's sort of our, one of our hallmarks. And I think that's sort of considering, but again, we felt the characters in the movie, because they're, um, because of 
what Pixar does is so amazing that they really just felt so lifelike and fluid and their movements were so incredible. We thought we can't can't really do that for the most part to be able to achieve you know the, the fish moving quickly and Mr. Ray you know undulating yeah. Yeah. and the sea and enemies all that kind of stuff just to do that in traditional AA figure fashion uh, would work so we decided to go with the combination mostly with this new special event. Yeah, I think the effects are amazing I've been on the ride several times oh, good, and good. just I mean the first time I saw the way that it was done it was like oh my gosh this is, <laughs> this is amazing and we did a similar attraction in Florida yeah I have not seen that yet yeah that's um, it's Got many of the same. It's, it's, you're not actually underwater except when you go into the sea based tank at the end, then, then you're not even underwater, but you're looking into real water. But right. it's, it's really a, we say, dry for wet experience, but it has a lot of this of similar kinds of techniques and, and, the, and the same idea of character. So it's a, it's a really neat counterpoint to this, this attraction. The subs now, you had to move them from being diesel to they're fully electric now, correct? Yes, correct. correct. And what went into that? Well, I I, I don't know. Okay. I, I, Fair enough. I'm sure Andrea could, I don't want to make something up. Okay. Fair but I enough. do know that we want, that the other thing we wanted to say here is how can we make the attraction um, very environmentally friendly? Because that was, you know, diesel not only kind of stinks, but it's not great for the environment. So that was that was sort of a no brainer situation. But our engineers got, our engineering guys figured that out, and I don't want to, like I said, miss them. Okay. I can make up a great story, but Fair it enough. be true. No. <laughs> have you um, been into the observation outpost yet? Have you seen that? No, I have not. I'm okay. going to do that as soon as I get a break here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just that's, that is... I think this is going to be the first time that you guys have created an alternate viewing yes, right. that's more compelling than the attraction itself. Wow, that's it's cool. It's amazing. Here. That's cool. Yeah, here. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that was the thing you wanted to All right, to I'll have it. to nail you after you get that thing, because <laughs> I really want to see what you think of that. Yeah, thing. yeah, I have... Um, Anyway, it's it, you know it's I have not seen it, but I know about it, and I think and of course we want to deliver um, as great a show for all of our guests as possible. And so this one was you know something that was really difficult to achieve, but I'm you know, I'm really happy to hear that you think it's so amazing. What is your projection for the line tomorrow? Oh wow, I have no I've been big. <laughs> I mean, I just drove past two billboards on the way down, and and I opened up my Sunday paper this morning, and there's a full size poster um, advertising the ride. So all the people that are waiting for the sun to come back will. Well, not all, all the ones that, that can't stand and not be the first in the live yes. will be here tomorrow. So I'm sure, I'm sure the reaction is going to be good. Um, now, I'm getting you, unfortunately, in advance of the whole what's new, what's next um, presentation. Is there anything that you can talk about before that presentation um, tomorrow? No, not really. I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about, about Toy Story Mania, okay. but I think they'll tell you more, probably more about that tomorrow. That's okay. opening next year. A, a, a little, um, I think a little less than a year from now okay. at California Adventure. And it's a whole new interactive ride. It, it, obviously in the world of Toy Story. It just takes interaction of our guests in a ride situation to a completely new level before, unlike anything we've done before. Excellent. Thank okay. you very much. You're welcome. So nice to meet you. Very Good nice luck to with meet you. Thank you so much. Adrian also had the opportunity to act as an honorary member of the Dream Squad by inviting a pair of Disneyland visitors to preview the ride with her a day before it opened to the public. She spotted Jason and Laura Bame as they exited a ride in Tomorrowland. She escorted them down the sea blue carpet for a sneak preview of the new ride. Listen to Laura's reaction to some of the new scenes in the attraction. As we leave the coast behind and head towards open water, you'll notice that this is a popular spot for divers searching for exotic fish. Right, runner, two zero degrees. Set course directly over the lost sea. <laughs> <laughs> that fish is not happy. <laughs> These remnants of an ancient civilization were 
been hidden for centuries beneath the ocean floor. Hidden until unearthed by a tremendous volcanic event. Come aboard, explorers! After previewing the ride, they visited the Nemo Marine Observation Outpost, or MOO. Welcome you to the uh, Nemo Institute, which stands for Nautical Exploration and Marine Observation. We have our symbol right here, you can see. Uh, you can see a little bit uh, bigger inside. But this is uh, our Marine Observation Outpost, or as we like to call it, the MOO. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to take you inside. We're going to link you up by satellite to the submarine. You'll get to observe their progress. You'll be in contact with the captain. And you'll get to see exactly what they're seeing. All right, so follow me. Obviously, uh, because of all the lockers and whatnot, you can see this is all also where some of our uh, marine experts and divers uh, store some of their equipment, but luckily they've cleaned the place up for you. So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, use our aqua cans to get you hooked up. I'll uh, contact the captain right now and see if we can get you hooked up with this up, all right? Observation outpost to Neptune 1. Come in, Neptune 1. Neptune 1, g'day outpost. I'm glad you'll be joining us today. Folks, we're about to set sail for a newly discovered undersea volcano. And with our special underwater cameras on board, you'll be able to come along for the ride. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the voyage. Let's secure ship for sea. Ship rigged for getting underway. Activate the aqua cam. Activating aqua cam. Right. All ahead, one third. All ahead, one third. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Pressure in the boat. Finally, Adrian got Jason and Laura's reaction to what they saw. Okay, I am standing here on the sea blue carpet with Laura Bame and Jason Bame. And these two were selected to come attend the Finding Nemo media preview um, as a special sneak peek. Um, something that the media were allowed to do. We were given dream fast passes and invited to find a family out in the park to bring with us on our very first uh, voyage through Finding Nemo. And so I grabbed these guys. And now you, when you came down today, you did not know that the attraction was going to be, you knew it was a press event? Yeah, but not open to the public. Yeah, we weren't planning on coming on. Okay. Um, now tell me about your memories of this attraction um, in the good old days. I, it was just cool as a kid to ride around in an actual submarine and the giant squid and the guy in the diving suit and the mermaids. I totally believe when I was a kid that that thing went underwater. <laughs> totally underwater. So You completely bought the myth. I completely bought the completely. myth when I was very young. <laughs> okay, and then you guys said that you were not really around when the subs left in 98? Right. Correct. We had moved up to Northern California, so we came back and they were just gone. When did you guys move back down? Uh, right around um, the time, just, just around the time they closed. Yeah, so 1999. We, like a year later. Okay, so you came back to a big empty sub-lagoon. Yeah. It's been sitting pond. empty for a really long time. A pond? It was the duck pond. <laughs> it was the duck the pond. Because there was always a duck out there. <laughs> Did you guys think they'd bring a ride back ever? We didn't know. We thought they'd make a, a, a ride out of one of the other movies, but 
we were hoping, but it really didn't look like they were ever going to do it. Okay, so now you've been on it, and what do you think? What are your impressions? Loved it. I would totally wait in line all day to do it again. So you know they're expecting the lines to be over two and a half hours. I'd still wait in that line. I'd really? still wait. Yeah. You would. It was awesome. Out in the sun, out in the line, no theming in the queue, just wait in line. No, yep. what I know now, yeah. Really, you would. Okay. Absolutely. The enhancements were, were worth it, I think. Um, what did you think of the technology that they used to portray the characters? It was awesome because it was totally seamless as to what there was no jolt in reality as to when you were looking at the characters and when you were looking at the water stuff. Usually when you see something like this, you'll see, oh, that's how they did that. Oh, that's how they did that. I'm sitting here, how did they do that? Wait a minute. How did they do that? <laughs> so, okay, so it's pretty seamless for yeah, you. Yeah, it was. it was awesome. Now, we also went through the observation outpost, the marine observation outpost, or MOO as they're calling it, um, to get an alternate view of the attraction. What did you think of that experience compared to being on the attraction itself? It was very detailed. You could see much more of the actual character interaction on the Moo, um, because it was first it was a bigger portal, and secondly it seemed to be a little bit slower because you weren't moving quite as fast, I think. You or see? maybe it was just because we were looking through small, small portals on the sub. But you do, get, you do get the feeling of the sub when you're on the sub. But I think it would be totally worth it if, I, if the line was too long or I physically couldn't get on the sub to wait for the moo because it was really it was beautiful to watch i did like the fact that the moo showed the artist's concept of the entire ride and you got the whole picture that was good as opposed to just the porthole view because now i'm gonna have to sit somewhere else in the submarine to get other views other pictures that's true that's true it, it is a little bit different show it's also a different show from either side of the attraction right. um, the first time that we went on it was on the side facing into the lagoon and the Moo images from the side facing out of the lagoon. So you get, you get the double view on that. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the attraction? Come do it as soon as you can. It was fun. Yeah. Say yeah. that again? Come do it as soon as you can. It was Come, fun. Bring all your friends. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nostalgically surprising because they, they left just enough of the old submarine ride in that for people that were on the old submarine ride, it'll hit a, it'll hit a chord in your heart. But it was also really new and exciting. So you think that people that were fans of the old submarine voyage are not going to be disappointed by this at all? Not at all. I used to make my family wait hours for the old submarine ride, and I will definitely make them wait hours for this one. <laughs> I'm so sorry for what I've started. I apologize to your family in advance for what I've started. No, it was great. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, you guys. Thanks for coming with us today. Yes. Monday was the day of the official opening of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. Before it all started, Adrian caught up with Eric Jacobson to get his reaction to the moo. Eric, you said to grab you, so I'm grabbing you. What did you think of the moo? What's that? What did you think of the moo? The moo? Oh, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You exactly. see what I, mean? I had never seen the media. Yeah, it was really very good. Yes, yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's really. I don't know if I agree with it's cooler than the ride, <laughs> but it's but it's it's excellent. Cool. So, yeah, thank you. Good. I was wondering what you thought of it. Yeah, thank I liked you it. So well, much. I, thank you for encouraging me to go see it because it's one of those things that I'll get to see that sometime, but I just did not be asked about it. So. The ceremony is about to begin, so let's turn it over to Adrian Vincent Phoenix. This is Adrian Vincent Phoenix from Alpana.com, and I am recording live from the grand opening ceremonies of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. The scene in front of me, we've got about 100 people sitting waiting for the attraction, for the grand opening ceremonies to begin. 
um, a couple hundred reporters and photographers all around the area. The Disneyland band is playing live. We've got some performers decked out in wetsuits and snorkels. I have seen so far Bob Iger this morning, John Lasseter is in the audience, Marty Sklar, Tony Baxter, um, Disneyland Resort President Ed Greer, and we are just waiting for the festivities to begin. Kids, it's the crush, man. Oh, put your fins and flippers together for one of my favorite human dudes. El Presidente of the Disneyland Resort, excellent and great! Hey! It's okay. It's okay to be have fun here. So the kids are laughing already. For our cast members, making dreams come true is a real dream job. And my dream job is being president of the Disneyland Resort. It's the best job in the world. Thank you. Don't try to take it. Thousands of U.S. workers are searching for their own dream jobs. So in partnership with CareerBuilder.com, we invited people from all over, the all over the country to apply for dream jobs. They posted their own video resume online, and nearly one million people voted for their favorite applicants. The 25 winners are here today, one day only, to fulfill their dream jobs in the following roles. Pirates, Princess in Waiting, Haunted Mansion Butlers and Maids, Performers in High School Musical Pep Rally, and my favorite and John Lasseter's favorite, Jungle Crew Skippers. Please join me in giving our honorary cast members a big round of applause as they officially begin their dream jobs. You know, Walt Disney considered Disneyland to be a living, breathing creation that will continue to evolve over the years. He constantly sought fresh and new ways to make his films, parks, and attractions more imaginative and immersive. And as you're seeing today, we intend to keep growing as long as people keep dreaming. In that spirit, we are very proud to unveil Finding Nemo submarine boards this morning. It beautifully merges a classic Disney adventure with a contemporary story to create a brand new immersive experience. Please join me in welcoming a man who continues to keep the imagination of Disney alive, the president and chief executive officer of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger. Good morning very much, and thank you very much, Ed, for the generous introduction. This is an exciting morning here at Disneyland, because we're here today to celebrate a classic Disneyland attraction, which, through a brilliant marriage of phenomenal storytelling and innovative technology, has been transformed into a vibrant new experience, one that will no doubt rekindle nostalgic memories 
for many adults while creating new memories for many children. The reinvention of this existing attraction is just another example of what we do on a daily basis at Disney, finding exciting new ways to tell great stories. And we do this in a variety of ways that encompass all aspects of our company, from television, the internet, music, film, live entertainment, and of course, our theme parks. And when he originally conceived the submarine voyage, Walt was inspired by his 1954 film, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But this time around, we've drawn fresh inspiration from the terrific story that our colleagues at Pixar created for their brilliant landmark animated film, Finding Nemo. The movie received an Oscar for Best Animated Picture and earned an incredible $340 million domestically during its initial release. And there is scarcely a place in the world today where people of all ages do not affectionately refer to an orange and white clownfish simply as Nemo. And here with us today are the visionaries who created the movie, led by the extremely talented writer-director of, of the film, Andrew Stanton, and Chief Creative Officer Pixar and Disney Animation Studios, and Principal Creative Advisor of Walt Disney Imagineering, John Lasseter. So John and Andrew, please stand. Give him a big hand. We're extremely proud that Pixar has joined the Disney family, and together we look forward to creating many more enduring stories in our future, beginning with our next Pixar film, Ratatouille, which opens on June 29th. Go see it. Please, go see it. And now it's my great pleasure to welcome the chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, Jay Rizzullo. Jay? The Disney tradition of bringing our unparalleled storytelling and beloved characters to the frontiers of technology remains unrivaled. Since the day Mickey dared to speak in the first talkie for Disney, Disney has boldly taken its content to the cutting edge. When Walt Disney's original submarine voyage opened in June of 1959, it featured the latest innovations in visual effects, sound engineering, and ride systems. Through the years, we upgrade and refine our attractions to keep them abreast of the latest technologies. But seldom have we done so so dramatically and redefined an attraction in a classic way more, that's more inspired than we've done with this one. For those of you who grew up in Southern California, the return of the submarine voyage is a dream come true. How many kids who have since become parents have wished to take their own children on the magical voyage of discovery beneath the ocean waters? Well, thanks to our brilliant Imagineers, your dream of adventure under the sea are about to come true. At this time, I'd like to acknowledge the amazing team from Walt Disney Imagineering whose artistic vision and great innovations have brought this adventure to life. Would you all stand up, please, and be recognized? <laughs> I think you'll all agree when you write this attraction, they've done a great job. 
Wherever the path of unfolding technologies and imaginative new platforms may lead, Disney will be there. Year in and year out, we're proud to bring our creative content to our parks. And the Finding Nemo submarine voyage is a perfect example of our continued and dedicated pursuit of creative excellence. We know that our guests are very excited about the opening of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. Of course, we can't lose sight of the fact that it all began with a little orange and white fish. None of us would have ever had the chance to see what it's like and what life is like under the big, in the big blue world if our little friend Nemo hadn't encountered humans with flippers. Submarine Voyage is officially open! Thank you for joining us today. We now invite you to follow the School of Fish to board the submarines for the inaugural voyage. All right, this is Adrian Vincent Phoenix, and I am here at the front of the line for the Finding Nemo submarine voyage with the people that are in the front of the line. And your name and where you're from? Jamie from Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm Sunny from Las Vegas, Nevada. And Mike from Las Vegas. Okay, now did you guys come here today with the express purpose of being the first people in line? Yes. yes. And what time did you get here? 5.30 this morning. 5.30 in the morning. You waited outside the gates. Mm -hmm. Okay, what time did they let you in? We had early entry okay. because we're okay. staying at a Disney resort. And you did that on purpose? Yes. yes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> and then came to the Nemo line at 7. Excellent. Okay. And what was your strategy for getting in here? How did you beat the crowds? Power left, walking. Left hand <laughs> early entry gate, so we were on the left first to the gate, and then we walked fast. But we didn't run. Excellent. Now, we took down a couple people on the way. <laughs> oh, we don't want to hear that. Just kidding. <laughs> don't want to hear that. Okay, now you guys, have they given you any indication as to how long you're going to be waiting? Have they told you what time the ride's going to open? Sometime after noon okay. is what they've told us. All right, so let's see. Right now it is a little after 10.30, and you guys have been waiting here already since since 7. 5.30 out front. That's true. All right. So we're talking six and a half, seven hours to wait for this and you think it's worth it? Absolutely. Okay. Especially no doubt. Now we're in, we made it in front and it was totally worth it. Tony Baxter and it was just a... Excellent. Cool. Now, did you guys go on the previous submarine voyage? Yes. yes. Many times. Okay. So Grew up is, with it. Ah. So this yeah. is very nostalgic for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And have you been on it yet? Did you get a chance to get into any of the previews yet? No. We entered online for pass holder preview, but weren't selected. So. Okay. We didn't come down because we didn't get it. We, we saw your reports. So you were getting in there. Yeah. <laughs> like 10 times, I mean. Okay, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, so you know nothing about it. Have you, have you guys been staying away from spoilers? Do you know what a to little expect? Bit. Read a few spoilers, but not as many as we usually do. So it's going to be a really unique first experience. We really don't know what to expect. Excellent. Yeah. All right, I will try to catch up with you guys after the ride. Go, Go Bob, Bob and the Ball! Bob. 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 
And by the way, this is a mouse adventure team, and they just have one message for the mouse adventurers going to be competing in the fall 2007 event. Watch Go out for the abominables. <laughs> Eighth place. We're coming up. Eighth place and rising. All right, guys, thanks so much. Just like the subs, eighth place and rising. Yeah. Bye, guys. While the abominables took their journey into liquid space, Adrian had a chance to speak with Imagineer Tony Baxter, Vice President Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering. Hey, thank you for joining us. How are you? How are you? Good. (laughs) I'm Adrian Vincent Phoenix with Mouse Planet. We've met a couple of times before, but I have a feeling you have a few thousand people in your brain, so... Today, yes, Yes. but it's a few thousand good people, and, uh, you know, it's been an amazing, amazing event so far. It has been. Now all we have to do is wait another 30 minutes, and there'll be a line over there that will be amazing. Going to be a line? Have you seen the line yet? I know, I know, yeah. (laughs) They're telling us four hours right now. Really? Yeah. It's all the way back by It's a Small World down to Toontown. I went over there this morning because I wanted to see the monorail. They said it was parked over there, so I got to see that, and then I talked with a lot of people at the front of the line. Yeah. I actually talked to a couple of them, and they were very jazzed to have met you. Oh, cool. So, okay. Um, I talked to Eric yesterday, and mm-hmm. he said, everything I asked him, he said, you know, you really should be talking to Tony about this. Uh-oh. So, yeah, now you're on the hook. Um, so, going back to 1998, submarines were closed, Marty Scar was laying across Main Street, and did you think at that point that the ride was ever coming back? No. Uh, we had actually tried uh, two or three things in that era. We tried first with Treasure, excuse me, with uh, Atlantis. And we figured it's going to be a big, spectacular thing. And we built a mock-up out there in which we demonstrated several of these illusions that would be a part of the story of Atlantis. And, in fact, one of them is still in the Finding Nemo ride, and that's where we have the um, explosion halfway through the show. Oh, okay. And the illusions we developed for that, you know, for that first uh, Atlantis ride are actually in there. That didn't work. Then we tried Treasure Planet. And we thought, well, it's not really underwater, but they have these big galleons that sail through the cosmos that look like, uh, you know, old schooners and so forth. And and that didn't work. And we were really beginning to think that we weren't going to see the submarine ride again. And then when Pixar and Disney released Finding Nemo, and it hit more than any other, you know, uh, either one of our films in the past, Nemo just went off the charts. It was loved by children, and parents really got into it, and it had heart and feeling. And these are all the things, because basically all our technologies come together to sell emotion. And if we can touch people, that's why you want to go on it again and again, is because you feel really good. And so... We saw that in Nemo. The first five minutes of that movie uh, tore me up. You know, already I cared a lot about this little guy. And so we thought, I wonder if we can do that and make it work. All the magic that people saw in the movie theaters, could you bring that magic underwater and in a three-dimensional way? And that's what we were able to pull off. Is there an effect in the attraction that looks deceptively simple but was just impossible to pull off? Yes. a matter of fact, there's dozens of them, but I think probably the hardest one and was the jury was out until maybe a week ago was the jellyfish with Dory bouncing. Mm-hmm. And it's turned out to be one that I've heard several people, especially in Disney management, say, my favorite thing is Dory with a jellyfish. And you don't know how, you know, it may not be the most st- stunning big piece in the show, but it makes a lot of people feel really good because we worked harder on that, I think, than anything else. It was so difficult that you've got all kinds of different... Uh, technologies coming together in one scene at that point. Because that's an animate, that's a physical yeah, yeah. 
interacting fish. with our, you know, with an animated our, yeah, character. Yeah, right, right, right. I noticed a lot of nostalgia references yes. in the attraction, and even to the point when I walked in this morning, I saw that they have replaced one of the attraction posters under the Main Street Station oh, great, with great. a Nemo yeah, poster. Yeah, that was done by uh, Ralph. Uh, oh gosh, I forgot Eggleston up at Pixar, who's one of their key artists, and Ralph was so passionate about getting to do that that he begged to see if we could let him do it, and they did, and it's really cute. It really captures kind of a little bit of a flavor of the old poster, and it brings, of course, the new Nemo to it, too. I think it's the first attraction poster I can think of that has been added. I mean, that's certainly, I think, the most... Well, yeah, we, we have an Autopia one, but I've never seen it up that we did. We had an indie one. I've never seen that one up. So you're right. I think it's the first one that's made it to the old tunnel there. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it was, it was really yeah, kind of yeah. nifty this morning to see that. Yeah. Uh, lots of nostalgia references in the attraction. Yes. Yeah, that's for me. One, <laughs> the first piece of the Graveyard of Lost Ships that you see, Walt Disney actually saw, because it's the one and only piece that is exactly intact from the ride, and when we uh, took the ride down back uh, two years ago, we, we had visions we were going to be able to save a lot of the original show, but, you know, time had taken its toll, and, and the structures inside were no longer strong, and so it was decided we've just got to, you know, nuke it, but we, we kept one piece, and we put, like, yellow police tape around it saying, do not touch this, this is the part that's going to stay here, and it's kind of it's kind of neat to say that, you know, Walt Disney once sat in that submarine and looked out on that, that same thing, it's kind of comforting to me, I, I don't know how many guests, you know, will, will know that, but I think it's, you know, because this is the one park Walt was in, uh, it was really neat. Then, for our older riders who remember fondly the ending of the ride and some of the key features... Right at the last bit of dialogue that we have where uh, they're talking about, I think we better surface, you know, the next thing you're going to say is you've seen a sea serpent or a mermaid. If you look really hard into that set, we have kind of worked into the rock work an image of both a sea serpent and a mermaid. Now, the serpent is easier to find, but you'll have to look long and hard to find that, that mermaid. But she's there, and she's pretty big. She's full size. Yeah, that's been kind of a little Easter egg in the attraction. Yeah, it's an Easter egg. Kind of yeah, empty. you're right. That's We live in an era of these kind of little special things. And what's great about this ride is, uh, and was one of the hardest things for us to do, is there are 20 seats and there's about 15 seconds between the first person seeing something and the last person. And that means that the first person is probably in another scene by the time that you see something. So to create the stereophonic sound that's moving through the boat with the act the actors uh, was a real challenge so that we could get maybe two completely different scenes going in this boat at the same time without creating a clutter in the sound. And it is absolutely amazing. I've heard people say to me, I thought they were going to pan the stuff through the boat, and it was always just right on, you know. Well, it's on for everybody, no matter where you're sitting. And because the shows run a lot longer than you can see them, it'll be fun for everyone to try out all the different seats and see different sequences. Um, And you'll hear dialogue that you can then figure out, aha, I want to see what that character is doing on that dialogue. (laughs) 
you know, and then move back that number of seats to, to you know, get in a position where you can see it. And stand in line for another four yeah, hours. Yeah, right, four hours. Well, hopefully after this first summer, and then the, the nice thing Disneyland's doing, you can enjoy your whole day at Disneyland and then run over there about 10 minutes before closing. Yes. And they will keep this ride open as long as it takes to get everyone through. So that's really neat. I know that when the subs had closed that one of the rumors for why the attraction had to go was wheelchair accessibility. And you guys have come up with a really interesting solution to that. Yeah, you know, it was a, that, a rumor. Um, you know, the government is pretty lenient on doing things that obviously there is no way to provide for that. And what we did, which was something we felt we wanted to do on you know, bringing it back up, was to create a show that gave everyone the full impact of all the things that you can see down there. So you can go into our research uh, laboratory at the, at the base there and see the entire show and work in our command center. And it's a really neat set. And I know what's going to happen. We're going to get a lot of requests or people that rent wheelchairs to see that version of the show. So there's yet another way to experience the attraction. Yeah, this morning they announced the Midway Mania game. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be another Pixar attraction added to on top of Nemo, on top of Bugs Land, on top of Monsters. Is it too much Pixar in Disney or is it all good? No, I think, you know, you've got to look at each one and where it's appropriate. I don't think there's a better story to tell in the submarine, you know, than the Nemo story. And likewise, they found a way for Midway Mania to do the kind of crazy slapstick that Pixar is so good at. Um, what I'm really excited now is we're starting a new era of two-dimensional animation at the studio in the, in the old tradition with the uh, Princess and the Frog. And I saw the first pass-through of that, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And I can hardly wait because it's set in a place called New Orleans. And we happen to have a place called New Orleans here at Disneyland. And so that could be a real, real fun Is there any opportunity project. for Italian over there? Yes, sir. You know, so, uh, you know, that's way, way on down the road. But, you know, if that movie comes out and is as wonderful and as exciting as it looked to be, and great music and all of that, uh, you know, it's, it's a natural... <laughs> Tell me, finally, what you're most proud of with Nemo coming back, or with the subs coming back. Oh, what am I most proud? I am so, uh, such an advocate of the diversity of Disneyland, and the fact that, you know, when Mr. Lincoln comes back, you'll be able to see the president, you can go ride a flying elephant, and you can take a journey beneath the sea. And I mean, where on earth can you do that? All in, like, 80 acres. That's an amazing thing. It means that Disneyland is like no product I can think of. You can go to prestigious museums, you can go to silly parks, and uh, you could do any one of these things, but at Disneyland, it's so rich. And to lose a chance to go into one of the true mysteries, which is the sea, it's one of the few places on Earth that nobody, only a few people have access. And we probably push through millions of people into a submarine every year. That's more than probably the entire number of guests riding submarines on the on the earth, you know, uh, pass through Disneyland submarine ride in a year. So to me, I'm so glad it's back because it gives that chance. And we had a contingent from Australia that are here with us today. And they are so excited because they said, in the realm of a, an amusement park ride that's basically a comedy, you've been able to say some extraordinary things about the fragile nature of the ocean, our Great Barrier Reef, 
and the East Australian Current. We really, really thank you for that. We had no idea it was going to be so much about our part of the world. And so that's a great thing, you know. So it's really exciting. Thank you very much for your time. Congratulations to you and your team. All right. I hope you get a chance to write it in the next 10 minutes before the... (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, right. All right, we are outside the exit of Finding Nemo with the very first people to get off of the very first sub. And go ahead and give us your names again. Mike from Las Vegas. Sunny. And Jamie. Okay, you guys, what did you think? You waited in line for how long? Since 5.30. So. Yeah, six, seven hours. Okay. <laughs> and was it worth it? Oh, it was worth Absolutely every minute of it. It was awesome. It's really awesome. It was awesome. What was your favorite part of the attraction? Probably the jellyfish. Really neat how they have the electricity going through them and... But the yours? whole thing. I like the angler fish. He okay. pops out at you. That's pretty cool. How about you? Yeah, I like the jellyfish also. Those are pretty awesome. Yeah. So you guys have been part of Disneyland history now. So what's that been like for you? Really, it's like probably our best Disney experience so Ever. far. This was really, really cool. It's been a great day. Who, who yeah. have you gotten to meet so far? Tony Baxter. Okay. Big deal. We were really happy about that. Rick. Yeah, Rick um, Steinberg. No. Uh, Rothschild. Rothschild, I believe his name is Rothschild. Really excited to meet both of them. And who was our cast member there with us all day? Um, Polly, our cast member, was really nice. She was at the front of the line with us and kept us entertained for the last seven hours. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, thanks, you guys. Congratulations on being first, and I'll see you guys later. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. I am standing outside of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage with one of the first people to get off of one of the very first subs. And your name? Uh, my name is Daniel Liu. I'm from Oceanside, California. Okay. Now, you told me that you have not only been on this attraction now, but you also have been on the version at Walt Disney World. Um, that's correct. I went on the, the seas with Nemo and friends at Epcot um, about a couple months ago. And so I thought I knew what I was going to expect here at Disneyland, but this even... I hate to say it, but blew the one out of Epcot out of the water. Okay. <laughs> I was so amazed with it's just the graphics and the animation, the live animatronics, and blended so well. I, I actually forgot that I was at Disneyland and got so I was just so convinced that I was actually underwater in the the world with Finding Nemo. So the Imagineers said that they really wanted to create an immersive experience. You think they've managed to do that? Oh yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, when it brought back childhood memories from riding the, the original submarine voyage, but then riding this, it, it's better than what I expected. And, and I had high expectations coming in. And it was, to me, it was very immersive because it was a blend of what was real, per se, in front of you versus what was uh, CGI graphics. But it just blended so well that I just didn't consciously think about the difference. I just thought about being in the ride underwater. I could ride this over and over because there was so much visuals throughout the ride. I'm looking at one corner at one second, then the corner eye catches other piece, other animation, other fish, other underwater landscapes underneath. So you could ride it over and over and see different things every time. Very cool. Uh, What was your favorite part of the attraction? Um, My favorite part, actually I I kind of have two favorite parts. Uh, One is with with just the beginning, because even though we walk above land on Disneyland to look over the lagoon, once you're inside, in the beginning portion of the ride, it just felt like I wasn't in Disneyland anymore. It, I couldn't really see the end of where the water ended, per se, underwater, so it just felt like the seas was realistic. And, and then my second part was 
hope I'm not revealing too much, but there's some really cool lava effects near the end that just blew my mind. It's like, how do they have lava effects underwater? I don't know how they do it. But I guess that's the magic of Disney Imagineering. Very cool. Thank you very much for your time, and we'll see you later. No problem. Thank you, Rim. Thank you, Adrian. After 10 years, the subs are finally back at Disneyland. On behalf of Adrian Vincent Phoenix and the Mouse Station Podcast, this is Stephen Ng. That was great. I wish I wish I could be in there. Uh, don't we say that for everything that we're not at? Oh, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there is that. Of course, it's uh, interesting to uh, hear from uh, Sonny and Mike from The Abominables again. Uh, good to hear from you guys. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it, and hopefully we'll get out there someday to see that as well. Mark, do they have jobs? Because, you know, they're in Disney World for the, the Pirates event, and then... They're at Disneyland all the time, and then at Disc Premiere, and they're always emailing us all the cool things they're doing. Like, uh, they're all over the place, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I understand that Mike has a very good job. I don't know what Sonny does, but Mike has a very good job in something Vegas. To do, something, to do with, something to do with wine, I believe. Yes, yes. He's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a sommelier. Yeah, he was teaching me all about wine on the cruise, because I know nothing. Ah. It was also very cool to hear the interviews with Tony Baxter and Eric Jacobson from Imagineering. That was uh, really cool to hear their take on the attraction and you know what was involved in putting it together. Oh, it's always cool to talk with people from Imagineering. You always learn things that you had no idea. Yep. One one thing that was uh, interesting was to hear the uh, interview with Kenneth Liu, since he has been on both Nemo attractions. Um, and since we have each been on the Seas with Nemo and Friends in Florida, and we know what that's like, hearing Kenneth saying that the attraction in California is so much better than the one in Florida, I really got to go out and see that. I mean, the, the, one, the one in Florida is, you know, probably you know, a C ticket or CD maybe, but this one sounds like a really a, a true e-ticket based on everything that I've heard. Oh, I make I am dying the the season of Nemo subs because you know we've been to the the season with Nemo and friends and it's cool, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed it and I'm glad they did that and I love it since now they have a wall there. But <laughs> um uh dude I wanna get into a sub and experience it. I um downloaded a couple of fan made videos of the attraction, which of course never do it justice, but some of the effects that I was able to catch just from that, from the audio and video is just is ama- is breathtaking. And uh, I have to go out to Disneyland. It's just another place I have to go to. Yeah, I I uh, have not seen that yet, but I haven't seen the the uh, videos that you sent me links to yet. But everything that I've heard just makes it sound phenomenal. And uh, the the Bohms who who. Uh, just lucked into seeing it because uh, Adrian was able to bring them on with that extra ticket. That, that um, you know, it, it was great hearing the uh, response from the Bohms to um, their ride on the attraction. That was that was uh, cool hearing that. Oh, it was that added just an extra little special flavor um, to the experience for me. Listening to all this audio. Yep, but you know, you know who else got to uh, ride the attraction during previews? Actually, I don't know who. 
uh, Ricky Ruiz from the Big Slicks, who called in voicemails both before and after his ride during the previews. So why don't we run that audio now? Hey, guys. Mike and Mark, what's going on? This is Ricky from the Big Slicks. Just letting you know that I'm about to get on uh, the new Finding Nemo ride over at Disneyland in Anaheim. Uh, I'll call you guys back and let you know afterwards how it goes, okay? Bye. Hey, Mike and Marcus, Ricky again over here from the Big Six in Anaheim. Just got off the ride. Um, it's a very good ride. I think the, I think uh, Disneyland outdid themselves this time. Uh, the technology that they use to incorporate the characters is just amazing. Uh, pretty, I mean, pretty basic. It goes around like the old ride, but it just, you know, it has everything that the Finding Nemo movies has. It's exactly what kids are looking for. It's even fun for adults. Cause I know I loved it and my friends loved it. Uh, but you guys have to come out here one day and, uh, and watch it. So uh, everyone out there who's uh, listening right now, come down if you're in Anaheim and get on uh, get on Finding Nemo because it's the best ride ever. <laughs> well, he sounded like he uh, really enjoyed it. Um, y- yeah, the best well, attraction ever. That's quite <laughs> a statement. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess it's unanimous. Now we just got to find a way to get out there. Send donations too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we ought to put a PayPal box up, send Mike and Mark to Disneyland. <laughs> uh, I'm only half kidding. <laughs> I'll be sad if we get more donations to that than we do when we actually plug charities. So I would be scared too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then why don't we move along? But first, you know, thanks to Stephen and to Adrienne for uh, that great, great audio. We'll have a link in the show notes to the article on Mouse Planet with desktop photos from the attraction, as well as photos of the attraction itself. So if you want to see the attraction, stop by the show notes and check out the uh, links. Featured Attraction In our Featured Attraction segment, we present information from Mouse Planet's park guides and add a little color from ourselves. This week, we're going to look at the Casey Jr. Circus Train, and Fantasyland at Disneyland Park. Quickly running down, the uh, Park Guide's general information says, uh, Many park guests don't realize it, but Casey Jr.'s Circus Train was actually the first attraction based on the film Dumbo, being the circus train that transported Dumbo and the rest of the circus from town to town. Though not technically an opening day attraction, it missed by only a couple of weeks, and opened at the end of July 1955, a couple weeks before Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Guests can sit in several different train cars, including the always popular Monkey Cage. Once going, the train tours the hills above Storybook Land Canal Boats route, providing a different view of the miniature scenes and without the narration. <laughs> Have you ridden Casey Jr.? Of course I've ridden Casey Jr. It's a... It's one of those classic attractions that you just can't pass up. Did you ride the and monkey the, cage? And, no, I didn't. I, oh. I've, uh, I rode another favorite animal's cage. Oh, you lion? But of course. <laughs> and you get a wonderful soundtrack with Casey Jr. Oh? Would you care to describe the soundtrack? <laughs> Casey Jr. comes around the track. <laughs> you, know, you, you, know, you know the music. You can get it on the Disneyland album. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, okay. Um, yes. No. We, now uh, I want to hit. Now, now you describe the music, or you do the music, or whatever you want to call it. Casey Junior's coming down, down the track, track, coming down, down the track, track with the smoking stack. stack. 
All right. <laughs> Before That's we not. get into copyright infringement, uh, we'll call that fair use, but we'll go, we'll move on. Uh, I've, hey, Mark, uh, it's, uh, Mark, if we're singing, it's never fair use. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very unfair use. Um, it's, it's, it's torture. But um, I've uh, ridden it several times because uh, we've been there when my son was two and a half years old. And we were there when my son was, I believe, six and a half years old. And so, of course, we had to ride it several times, uh, very frequently in the monkey cage. And for those who know my size, you know what a joy it was getting into and out of the monkey cage. But we did it. We did the monkey cage, we did the lion cage, we did the um, caboose, we did the open cars. Pretty much just about everywhere on the train. But it's a, it's a fun <laughs> little ride, you know, you, you get to... Uh, go around the storybook land canal boats uh scenery and it's it's you know a, a pleasant little ride and a nice little chance to relax at in fantasy land it's it's rated a b ticket and i would probably agree with the b ticket rating but it's still it's still fun something i recommend you do but don't wait long to do it come back later lines will be shorter <laughs> We'll put a link to Casey Genius Park Guide page in the show notes. Review System Spotlight! Once again, we spotlight reviews of one restaurant or resort from Mouse Planet's review system. This week, we're going to look at Wilderness Lodge at Walt Disney World, which is described in Mouse Planet's Park Guide as Wilderness Lodge nestled in the woods southeast of the Contemporary Resort and west of Fort Wilderness Campground, with which is, is sometimes confused, is a beautiful edifice. Visitors will be struck by the smell of Michigan's Upper Peninsula, pine trees, and smoke from a fireplace. The building itself is a log lodge reminiscent of those built by the National Park Service in the early 1900s. The lobby is huge with a fireplace in one corner, and the check-in desk is serviced by park rangers. Everything looks, feels, and smells like the Western National Parks. The crowning touch of this resort is the mineral spring that bubbles from the ground inside the lobby. The water trickles outside into a small brook that feeds a natural rock spring pool. It looks just like Yosemite here, but it's in the middle of Florida. A geyser blows off steam regularly, even more faithfully than Old Faithful, between the pool and Bay Lake. But of course, the Disney magic keeps the geyser from blowing off steam during the nighttime hours when guests are trying to sleep. It was rated 4.5 out of 5 planets on the strength of 23 reviews. In fact, the only resort rated higher is the Villas at Wilderness Lodge, the DVC resort attached to the Wilderness Lodge, which has a 5 out of 5 rating on the strength of 4 reviews. A review of the Wilderness Lodge itself was rated as helpful by a whopping 87 out of 87 people. Is a five-planet review by Mom to Two Girls of Jenkinstown, Pennsylvania, who visited back on July 7th to 14th, 2005. The review reads as follows. We had a wonderful time at the Wilderness Lodge. We booked through AAA and got their discounted rate. I had booked Woodsview rooms, but was upgraded to a courtyard view with a connecting room for the family members who were traveling with us. The atmosphere was very relaxed there. The warm wood and stone was to my taste, and I really enjoyed walking through the lobby area. It really is themed well. 
The pool area was very nice, and my kids really loved the pool. I noticed that, unlike the contemporary, where we stayed on our last trip, the arcade was located outside of the lobby and away from the snack bar areas, which kept the noise level down. Transportation by boat was fun, and the bus service ran quite regularly. We never had to wait overly long for transportation to and from parks and attractions. We ate as a family at Whispering Canyon, which is a loud but fun experience. My husband and I also managed a quiet dinner at Artist's Point, uh, which we really enjoyed. The customer service was excellent. Late one night, I discovered that the toilet tank was leaking. We called the front desk, and maintenance was there within minutes. They left to get a new tank from the warehouse and returned promptly, and the repair was complete within an hour of our calling at 2 a.m. They worked so quietly, my kids did not wake up. There is not a business center, but the front desk allowed us to do a late-night check-in online for our flight home so our party of eight could be with the first group to board. I would definitely stay there again. Mark, have you ever stayed at Wilderness Lodge? I have not stayed there. I've spent a fair amount of time there, but have not stayed there yet. I figure sometime in the near future will probably be at the villas at Wilderness Lodge. I don't know about Wilderness Lodge proper. much rather use my DVC points than cash. But I've spent a lot of time there at Whispering Canyon and at Artist Point and the Territory Lounge. And at Mouse Fest, I got to try out or check out the Iron Spike Room at the Villas. <laughs> oh, yes, the Iron Spike Room. Um, I got to check that out as well. And, you know, Wilderness Lodge was the first place I tried a blue teeny. That's right, in the Territory Lounge. Yep. That's, and... that's where I took that great picture. <laughs> With, 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 the, with the, glow cube, the glow cube lighting up your face. Yes, you and the rest of Walt Disney World fame uh, <laughs> online community. <laughs> there's, probably, there's probably photos uh, every major Godberg author and website person that could even think of that was at Mouse Fest had their cameras out within seconds of maybe seeing that drink. Well, no, I took a picture. Uh, Lou took a picture. I don't know if anybody else did. Maybe Dave. It was you and Lou and Dave. There were there were a bunch of other people there, but I don't think they had the cameras. I think Nathan took one. I could be wrong. I think um, I think Nathan may have left for um, the, the uh, setting up the Iron Spike room by then. Regardless, it, it was multiple cameras pointing me at once, which I'm never used to. <laughs> um, but back to Wilderness Lodge. Yes, back to um, Wilderness Lodge. Um, they mixed a drink fine, so I don't have to worry about that. I love Wilderness Lodge, although I've never stayed here. I I spent time in some of the hotel in one of the rooms. I've been in the pool. I've eaten at Whisman Canyon a lot. Um, food court a little bit, a couple times, a couple times. I think once with you. Mm-hmm. Hung out, um, used the marina. I-, I love the resort. But my favorite part about Wilderness Lodge is a trail that connects it to Fort Wilderness. That is just one of my favorite parts of Walt Disney World property. Mm. It's quiet, beautiful. Um, it's really nice to go when it's dark out. There's no lights on the trail, but you know the moon will light it enough and. It's just a fun um, way to spend an hour, and then you can stroll right into a movie at Fort Wilderness. Cool. Yeah, I, I love uh, Whispering Canyon. It is fun and loud, and um, you know you get into it with the wait staff, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and of course, if you go to Whispering Canyon, make sure that you ask for uh, Pepsi or ask for ketchup. Or ask for a longer straw. It will be fun. Trust me. See, you're just ruining it for everyone. You need to, people need to be surprised when that happens. 
But yes, ask for ketchup. Well, you know, and I, my I, favorite... I, I'm not telling him what's going to happen. I'm just telling him what to do to trigger something. Uh, and I'm, and I'm not telling them whether it's more fun for them or for the people around them. They'll have to guess ask which is Z- which. <laughs> ask, ask for zebra domes, too. You'll love the response. I've actually never <laughs> seen the response to that one. You'll have to tell me about yep. that after the show so that uh, we don't blow the surprise for everybody else. You'll have to try it next time. But my favorite part about Whispering Canning is they have the bottomless milkshakes on the breakfast menu. <laughs> Nothing is better than that. Uh, the bo- all you can drink milkshakes is the best reason to go there at all. I and then you have, roll yourself out, right? Um. Yeah. You know, if uh, there's been times I've been known just to go there and sit with a friend or other type of person, and for like four hours and just get milkshakes when they weren't bit on a night that they weren't even have people waiting, and just keep getting refills on the milkshakes for three or four hours. <laughs> <laughs> This thing's like five bucks a pop, you know. Mm-hmm. Get, you, get your money's worth, buddy. Yeah. We'll put a link to the Wilderness Lodge review page, as well as this park guide page in the show notes. Don't forget that you can access the user reviews section of Mouse Planet from a link on the left-hand side of any page. Just click User Reviews. And don't forget that you can post your own reviews when you come back from your trip. Ask the Kid. Have you ever been sitting at home, having a question about Disney, and wondering what an eight-year-old child would think about such a topic? Well, we have a special offer for our listeners today. We have this new revolutionary product called Ask the Kid, where we or you ask Mark's eight-year-old son a question about anything Disney-related. And for this limited time only, which is normally $10 per call, it is free. We, in fact, have our first Ask the Kid question coming up right now. Isn't that right, Mark? Well, it's not the first one, but it's the one for this week. <laughs> um, this is a question from listener Kate. So let's go to the audio. Here we are with another episode of Ask the Kid. This week's question comes from listener Kate, who writes, Hi, my son Aiden and I would like to know what is your favorite Walt Disney World restaurant and why. Well, actually, I have three favorites. Um, the Luau, because of the great show and the ice cubes that light up. Well, you can get a globe cubes anywhere now. Really? Pretty much. Huh. <laughs> well, um... Well, still, still for the show. Yeah, um, uh, Whispering... Canyon, whatever that restaurant's called. Whispering Canyon Cafe. Um, because of the all the um, um the, the, the um uh, coconut races. No, the coconut races were at Ohana. Whispering Canyon had the Pony Express ride. Oh, I'm gonna mix up between those two, and well, I guess that's four favorites. Cause and then I was also going to say Alfredo's because of fettuccine Alfredo. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, so Alfredo's is going to be closing at the end of August. No. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be. An... <laughs> you done? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, there's gonna be a new Italian restaurant opening that's run by the same people that run Naples at Disneyland. Remember, we ate at Naples. In downtown Disney, that's that's 
the same people are going to be running the new restaurant at the Italy Pavilion, but I don't know if they're going to have the fettuccine Alfredo or not. Uh-huh. But but the other three are the Luau and Whispering Canyon and uh, Ohana because of the entertainment during the uh, meal. Yeah. How about what are your favorite restaurants for food? Alfredo's. And any others? Uh, no. No? You don't have any other favorite? I can't really think right. I can't really think straight right now because, well, not straight, but well, what I meant to say was you're having trouble concentrating or focusing. Well, yeah, and that I didn't. No, I shouldn't say. Well, you know, is there anything you can think of in the spur of the moment? What? Is there anything you can think of just right now, thinking about it? Not really. Well, then that's it for this episode of Ask the Kid. We'll be back with another question next week. Yeah, I think no. <laughs> I, I think he was a little disappointed uh, when I told him that uh, Alfredo's is closing. And uh, well, even though he even though he did enjoy the food from Naples, um, I think that he's just going to miss the fettuccine Alfredo. Now, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be quite as torn up as him, but you know, I, I'll I'll just be disappointed. I'm not. I'm not going to uh, cry over it, but but I am disappointed that it's going to go away. Well, I'm disappointed as well, Mark, and I'm not going to cry. But I wasn't. I didn't even go to a Disney park my last time in Florida. If I would have gone to Epcot, I would have definitely gone there. Oh well, but I can maybe go when I'm in New York City. And hey, you live in New York. You can tell your son that and see if he asks you nicely again and again to go. Can we take a three-hour train ride to each way to go to dinner? Uh, oh no! Oh no, Mark. He'll say dinner and a, a, a musical because he want you know he's gonna make the most out of whatever trips he can take, right? Yeah, well, when we go down to see uh, Mary Poppins on Broadway in August, maybe we'll see if we can arrange an Alfredo's lunch or dinner because that is one of the two remaining locations in the United States. Uh, New York City and Las Vegas. Uh, there may be another one that opens up in the future, but for now, that's the only two that will be left after uh, the Alfredos at Epcot closes. Um, I thought it was interesting that most of the places that he picked that he enjoyed for dinner were chosen on the strength of the entertainment, not on the strength of the food. I don't know if it's that the food doesn't matter that much to him. Or if it's that um, the entertainment is more important than the food when it comes to Disney or or what, but uh, yeah, I was a little surprised to hear that you know it was the entertainment was the overriding factor. Though I know that he did have fun with each of them, though Whispering Canyon during his first Pony Express ride he actually got trampled and uh, was. Uh, really upset and and uh and a little bit hurt but he he actually got up and finished the race so that was that was uh really good uh to see that he was he wasn't letting it you know stop him but uh you know that i i'm surprised that that didn't turn him off of the restaurant for good so i i'm kind of glad that he that he's uh he he picked that as among the favorites oh definitely it um it was good that I was able to finish that. But what's, you know, 
any comment about entertainment versus food. Mark, he's a kid. You know, how many meals do you remember when you were a kid that were memorable because of the way it tasted or the texture versus other foods that you've tried? You care about what's fun and, you know, entertainment speaks out more. And, you know, we as adults, you know, we still like the entertainment, but um, we're a little bit more picky on what we eat and what we don't eat as far as, well, the soup was kind of light and the, the, you know, or blah, blah, blah was dry. Most kids don't really care. Mm, maybe. I could be wrong. I don't have kids. So. So we'll be back with another Ask the Kid next week. And now it's time for this week's Magical Moment. Our Magical Moment this week comes from Marcus Womble from Wichita Falls, Texas, who has some great memories from his time on the Walt Disney World College program. I can relate to this. Well, Marcus writes, I am an LVN now at our hospital in Wichita Falls, Texas hoping to get my RN and work at Celebration Hospital in a few years down the road. My connection with Disney World goes all the way back to 1985, my first family trip. In 2005, 20 years later, I never dreamed I would be working there. On the spring college program, I worked in merchantainment at Pop Century. Huzzah! (laughs) I thought I would never have the chance to work in the parks, but when I learned about the extra hours, I really almost worked in every gift shop in all four parks, a few other resorts, and even Blizzard Beach. I have a few special magical moments, trading pins with the kids at the pin parties, catching guests with their birthday buttons on, things like that, wearing this sweet Mission Space costume, and learning which places not to work because of catching your friends wearing some ugly costumes. Not very many, but Oscars at Disney MGM Studios, anyone? Ah. Merchantainment cast members really had the best advantage. You could, you really could work anywhere there was a cash register at. Well, I will be at the pin celebration in Epcot in September. I'm a big Figment fan. Have a magical, healthy day. Ma- Marcus Womble. P.S. I had no idea that the hospital would be more impressed with me working for Disney than my clinical experience. (laughs) That's interesting. Now, he did merchantainment at Pop Century on the spring 2005 college program. You you didn't start at Pop Century until the summer college program, right? Well, no. We would have... What was his last name? Womble. I swear I know him. Oh. Um... Because I started, I, I was the fall advantage, which started in May. Oh, so you, you, you may indeed have had some overlap. Um, so do you remember Marcus working in uh, the, the store at uh, Everything Pop? I do remember well, a few Marcuses, but that name really sounds familiar. Marcus, send me a photo. <laughs> I'll be able to recognize you, I'm sure. Or, or if you um, remember no, Mike, uh, just send him something that'll tip you, tip him off to who you are. <laughs> uh, Marcus, um, I'm glad you enjoyed your college program experience, um, and I'm happy that you're able to survive after the wonderful Airmark food at Pop Century. But all kidding, <laughs> kidding aside, um, yeah, merchantainments really did have a good gig because they could go to a lot of the other. Um, shops, but hotel front desk and a lot of the other areas, you could transfer around or um, and do a lot of different things at all the different parks and 
resorts, which, as our listeners know, I did a, quite a bit of. But I, and provide magical in, moments everywhere you go. That is exactly true. So I'm glad you enjoyed the college program. I'm not at all surprised that the hospital cared more about your Disney experience than your clinical experience. Because guess what? Every interview you have for the rest of your life will be focused on Disney. No matter if you wanted to or not. Because people are interested in Disney and they really don't care about anything else. So welcome to that wonderful world. And hey, you're a Figment fan. That's awesome. So are we. Ooh, I'm just right. Oh, sorry, never, original ever figment. Do that again. <laughs> but yeah, Marcus. Um, send Are me you almost there? But yeah, Marcus. <laughs> thanks for listening to the show and send me something. I want to. Oh, I swear, I re- I know you, or at least I've met you. I just need to get a visual reference. But hey, Pop Century, good man. We're working at the best value resort there is. So, do you have a magical moment you'd like to share with our other listeners? We'd love to hear it, and we're sure that they would as well. Send it to stories at massplanet.com or call the toll-free feedback line at 1-866-939-2278. Your story may appear on the podcast, and it'll also be considered for inclusion in our Cast Place column on the Mass Planet website. Don't forget that magical moments are best when they're told in your voice, so call that feedback line. Incoming Transmission now station, station listener, listener feedback. feedback. And now it's time for some listener feedback. First off, we've got uh, some more voice. Uh, excuse me, some more voicemail. No, it's it's written. It can't be voicemail. We have some more email from Steve Russo. The first one says, "Hi, Mark. I'm glad I was able to give you a chuckle with the mock voting and emails from my family. By the way, you can tell Mike that our black lab Gunner, while highly intelligent, cannot type." He uses voice recognition software to compose his email. <laughs> <laughs> and while I appreciate the offer, there's no need for a gift, unless, of course, it's that seven-night stay at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. I was just having some fun. Well, no, we don't have seven-night stay at the Animal Kingdom Lodge to uh, give away, but uh, I am actually going to get together with Steve, possibly between the time we record the show and the time it goes live. And I do have something for him, so... Uh, We'll see how that goes, and maybe I'll report on that next week on the show. We also have a second email from Steve. It says, okay, boys, something a little different for this week. This is, a, this is a true story, but the names have been changed to protect the innocent. And I am dating myself with a Dragnet reference. Dun, 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 dun. In January 2007, we were on a trip with our entire family. We left the Magic Kingdom with my wife, and I sent everyone back to our resort while we, armed with all six of our passes, monorailed to Epcot to secure Soren Fast Passes for later. We entered the land, and I made my way to the Soren Fast Pass machines. I inserted all six passes and received six Fast Pass tickets. As I was walking away, I noticed that four of the Fast Pass tickets were invalid. The ticket said something like the pass used was not valid, and I should talk to someone in guest relations. I stopped a cast member that was walking by and showed her the invalid FastPass tickets. She quickly did something to the machine and it spit out four new FastPasses. I thanked her and began walking away, trying to think of what the ticket problem was. It took me about ten seconds before I slapped my forehead and shouted, Oh! Can you identify the problem? Go ahead, give it some thought. I'll wait. <laughs> uh, did he give us the answer in this one? Yeah, yes, he, yes, he, yes, he did. 
Um, and you know, this I, isn't fair. So first of all, Steve, my email is Mike at mousepad, no. Mike D at mousepad.com. Cause I, you're just giving Mark all these answers. No, no, this no, no. You fair. see, you see the, uh, email did go to both of us. You just didn't check that account. I think, cause you have too many email accounts. Oh, that might be true, but still, <laughs> I don't want Mark. One of these times, I don't want Mark knowing. I want to. Well, you know, him, I so. I always play along, and I make my decision before I scroll down to the answer. I, okay, well, that's good. And I'll tell you, for a minute there, I thought that that he was in the clear, and then when he said that they were invalid, because I was following along, I was following the scenario, and I was saying, okay, you know, he's in the clear. And then when he said that they were invalid, I realized what the hitch was. So I, I knew it before we got before before I got to the answer. Do you have a clue, Mike? Yes, I do. Just give me a second to reread it. Oh no! You, are you are you rereading the the email or are you rereading the the answer in your in your other email account? Because I didn't. Re- I didn't. I'm I didn't, rereading. I didn't put the I'm answer. A, I didn't, I'm rereading the script. Okay. I'm not. Oh, nothing else is open. Stop interrogating me! Stop it! <laughs> Pull yourself together, man. Counseling services provided by. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. When I when I copied the email into our uh, recording notes, I did not copy the answer on the off chance that you had not read that email. And I always take that chance because you always get too busy to read that email account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I log in a couple times a week. Okay, just give me a second to read this. Everybody went to the Magic Kingdom. Then they left, and they took everybody's passes over to Epcot, and they used the passes to get fast passes. Oh, that, that's easy enough because, the, um, because he didn't scan the tickets inside the turnstile when he entered Epcot. Right. Because originally I thought, you know, okay, they went to the Magic Kingdom, so the passes had been used that day, so they were valid. And then I realized, nope, because they had to be used in that park. So if you had gone to Magic Kingdom and everybody left and you went back into the Magic Kingdom to get more fast passes, that would have been okay. But you can't go to another park and use those tickets to get fast passes without actually going into the park on those passes at least once. The passes said these haven't been into Epcot yet, and therefore they can't be used to get Epcot fast passes. Yeah, you know, that that's pretty simple. I had to read the top part to, uh, the, you know, I was like, once I read that, you know, everyone else went back to the resort, I was like, duh. And that was always the reason why, although um, the college program bus drops off backstage, Inside the park at a lot of different locations, I always went back up to the main gate, turnstile, to get my ticket scan, my um, college program, my cast member ID badge um, scanned so that I could always use fast passes because without that, no fast passes. So, yes. Ha, huh, Steve, that was easy. <laughs> easy, he says. Uh, and unlike what Mark thinks, I did no cheating whatsoever. I didn't say you cheated. You thunk it. No, I didn't. Okay. And you can't prove we it. Yeah. Ha- <laughs> we have an email from Dave San Francisco. We have an email from Dave in San Francisco. He writes, Hey guys, I just listened to last week's podcast and heard you request for more reviews at of at World's End. I've seen it three times since it came out, so it's pretty obvious that I liked it. In particular, there are two things that really make the film stand out in my mind. Number one, I'm a sucker for a good soundtrack, and Hans Zimmer has produced an amazing one for At World's End. 
In addition to con- continuing many of the same musical themes from the first two films, he uses Hoist the Colors to frame the movie beautifully. In the opening scene, the song sung by the little boy and the pirates in the gallows tells the story of Calypso being bound by the first brethren court. The same theme is used at key points in the film, most notably during the climatic battle between the Black Pearl and the Flying Dutchman. Number two, the ending of At's World End is fantastic. Jack is back where he started at the beginning of Dead Man's Chest, in a, in a dinghy by himself off in search of adventure. In other words, while other stories, most notably Will and Elizabeth, have come to an end, Jack's is ongoing. If there is to be a fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I hope it leaves Will and Elizabeth behind and focuses on Jack and Barbosa and their search for the Fountain of Youth or some other treasure. Dead Man's Chest and At World's End focused on pirate mythology, and as cool as that was, I'd love to get back to Basics Pirate Romp for the next installment. Take care, guys. As always, I love the show. Dave in San Francisco. One po- one thing that I definitely have to agree with him is Hoist the Colors. I came out of the movie with Hoist the Colors just going around and around in my mind, and it stayed there for probably a couple of days before I got it out. Oh, yeah, it's still in my mind. I love Hoist the Colors. It's, it's an excellent use of music in the movie. I have it going in my head right now. I have the soundtrack. Um, it's an awesome song. <laughs> All right, next up, we've got a voicemail from Marcy Reeder, who we heard from on the red carpet of the Pirates of the Caribbean premiere. So let's play that. Hi, this is Marcy Reeder of Upland. I'm Brody and Bailey Reeder's mom. Um, I just want to tell you, it was so fun talking to you guys at the Pirates premiere and after Stephen left us, um, we had so many of the celebrities come through the media to say hi to Brody, like um, John Voight, Mark Curry, Janice Dickinson came and kissed him on the cheek, and um, we had such a really good time, and Brody really loved it. And then um, this last Friday on yeah yeah on June eighth. We got to go on to the preview for the Finding Nemo ride, which Brody was just thrilled because it's all he's been talking about lately. He says he likes mostly the sharks and um, the jellyfish and the mines that go boom. So um, it was so fun to go on it. It was so much more than I expected. I never expected there to be animation in there, and he really had a great time. So um, thanks again for everything and Brody wants to say hi. 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 Bye. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Hi Brody. Bye Brody. Hey. Good to hear from hey, you. Brody. <laughs> oh, that was really cool that um that trip even went so much better and that some of the celebrities um made time to um, talk with our family. That was pretty cool. That's a magical moment in itself. Yep. And then, of course, they got to uh, go to the preview of Nemo as well. And uh, 
the Minds That Go Boom were one of Brady's favorite. And um, I guess that's supposed to be a really cool effect. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see the Minds That Go Boom myself. We have another email from Mary. She writes, Cutting the podcast into at least two segments would make it easier for me to listen on my lunch hour as I do not own an iPod. As it is, it may take me two days to get through the entire Mouse Planet watch. It was great early on when you split out the news portion because I can listen to that on the way home in the car Burn it when I burn it to a CD. This is only one of three podcasts I listen to and is a lot of fun as well as being informative. Keep up the good work as I count down to my next Walt Disney World vacation in October. Okay, that's one vote for yes, split the show. Uh, we have another um, email from Bonnie Taylor in San Diego who writes, Hi Mike and Mark. First of all, let me say that I don't mind the length of the show. I listen at work, so the longer the better. But I realize <laughs> there are those who don't have the time to listen to an hour and a half all in one shot. I wanted to make a suggestion then. I've noticed that some other podcasts split out their email and voicemail segments. Perhaps that is something you could consider doing. Whatever you decide to do, I will keep listening. Thanks, Bonnie. Okay, so that's one yes and one okay. And uh, we will say that... We were considering, uh, if we do go to three shows, one of the shows would be listener feedback. It would be all listener feedback. And then the other two shows would be the main feature topic, would be the feature topic of the week. And then the other one would have all of the mini feature segments, which would be tip of the week, attraction of the week, user review system spotlight, ask the kid, magical moment and so that would be our three shows if we go to two shows then i don't know whether we would have main feature and listener feedback and split up the mini features or if we would have main feature and mini features and split up the listener feedback at this point we're leaning towards three half hour shows versus two 45 minute shows but we'll see how that works out but so far there's two um, not opposed to splitting the show. So we have a direction here. If you have a feeling either way, please let us know. We have three more voicemails from Kim Barron. Do you want to listen to all three in the comment out there, Mark, or listen to one at a time and comment on each one? Um, why don't we listen to the first two, which were while she was still in the park and she left both of those the same day, and then we'll listen to the third one and and talk about that one okay let's play those first two now hi mark and mike it's kim Barron. i'm calling you from the electric umbrella at epcot i'm sitting here in a cool quiet place i know it's an odd thing for disney it's been very hot this past week it's been a little rainy but i haven't let that stop me I have seen Fantasmic, Illuminations, Wishes, all of these shows. It's great. It's a little too hot for me personally, but hey, I'm coping. Um, everything is going really well here. Uh, Soren is wonderful. My favorite ride. Got a total of eight times this trip. Uh, I've eaten at the San Angelo, San Angel Grill. 
grill, not grill, in Satan at San Angel in Mexico, and it was good. I liked it. I ate at Sci-Fi Cafe. I liked that. It was fun. It was kitschy. I really liked it. Um, and had the Chef de France the other day, which was also excellent. Can't miss up. You can't mess up their French onion soup. It's wonderful. And so I'm enjoying my last afternoon at Disney here at Epcot. My friend Hope is doing the Star Wars weekends. I decided since it's not really my thing, it's that much, I decided I'd skip that. She told me that people arrived at 2.45 in the morning for the Ray Park signings. All of his autograph sessions were gone by 7 a.m., so he's been very popular. She left the room at 5.30. I promptly rolled over and went back to sleep for a while. But we're both having an excellent time, and we haven't let any of this weather stop us. I got to see the shuttle launch again last night, and I must say it's very impressive, even in the daylight. Uh, and we're staying right now at Port Orleans French Quarter, which is now my favorite hotel on property, if it's not a deluxe. Boardwalk's my favorite deluxe. But it is just so wonderful and quiet and sedate and just a marvelous place to stay. And all cast members have been absolutely wonderful. And I hope you all have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, Mark and Mike. It's Kim Barron again, just getting off Spaceship Earth. I went through the new post-show area, and it's really cool what they have up and running. They have a called Super Driver, where it's a driving game, and they show different future technologies for helping drivers and making it a super agent game and how fast you go to determine your agent level. I made it almost to the top, not quite. And they also have up and running. It's called Bodybuilder. It's a 3D game where you're picking up pieces of a skeleton and the internal organs and dropping them in, and dropping them into place correctly. And that's also a lot of fun. Now, they already have up the boards for taking away the Lego Legacy pavilion or selling kiosk in front of Spaceship Earth. Also, they have boards up on Soren to where it appears they are enlarging the screens in the, on the queue area for going up there. And I must tell you, the wait times for Soren this week have been astronomical. One day, one day I walked by, and it was a three-hour wait for standby. Personally, I won't wait that long for a ride. If it's more than 30, I pretty much will pass it up. But I was able to ride Soren eight times this week by getting here early and using my fast pass. So that's a record for me for one trip. So... You guys have a good day, and I'll call you later. Bye. <laughs> wow, she sound, uh, sounds like an amazing trip that she had. How long was it? Like over t- like two weeks or something? It was, it was about 10 days or maybe, I think it was 10 days originally, and then she got the extra two days, so it was like a 12-day oh, trip yeah. or something. Uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like she um, had a lot of a lot of fun. Yep, and, calling and, from uh, an empty electric umbrella that um that sounded weird. That sounds odd to me. <laughs> yep, and um, of course you know her friend Hope got to spend plenty of time over at Star Wars weekends, which was nice. Um, but eight times on Soren for the trip, I think my son would be jealous. <laughs> ah, I've done eight times in a day. 
<laughs> no, that must have been um, before the lines got bad. Uh, no, that's when I lived in Florida and could just spend spend a whole day off doing only Soren because I didn't have to come back home. Okay. Minnesota. But no, and now let's listen to her last voicemail. Hi, Mark and Mike. It's Kim Barron. I'm home in Pittsburgh. Actually, I'm back at work. Boo. I just wanted to give you a, a review of my trip. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it, except for the heat. June is not a month for me. It's just too hot. Tropical Storm Barry wasn't bad. Cooled things off a little bit on Saturday for Star Wars weekends. Um, as I said before, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I do enjoy it, but Star Wars weekends, that's more for my friend Hope. But I did enjoy the trip immensely. Highlights for me were the gentleman who gave me his dining plan so that Hope and I could eat at August Point one night, which was excellent. Everywhere I ate was good. Nothing, I didn't have any bad food. I had typical theme park food, particularly from the electric umbrella. It was the theme park hamburger, but what can you say? It's a theme park. Um, Port Orleans French Quarter is a wonderful hotel. As I said before, this is my new favorite. I will definitely be staying there on my next trip. Animal Kingdom was wonderful. I loved Expedition Everest, of course. And the safari was very nice, was wonderful as well. Saw lots of animals. And the new Nemo theme part, the new Nemo show is great. It was very touching and very well done. Had to run right out and buy the soundtrack. And I found a new place to watch Wishes as an alternative. The front of the castle is the best, but if you are in Fantasyland behind Dumbo, there's a seating area where you near the ice cream place. If you're in, in the very front of that seating area, just in front of, just behind Dumbo, you get a wonderful view of the fireworks. It's a great alternative to the front of the castle. And I saw Fantasmic for the first time in several years, and it's still wonderful. And saw Illuminations twice. And being, being that it was very warm but raining several evenings, I have found that ponchos can become your own personal sauna. Not the best way to travel around the park. But as I said, it was just a wonderful time, and I will hopefully do, be doing a trip report. I'm not real good with those. But I just wanted to tell you that everything was wonderful, and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Bye. Uh, yes, all good things must come to to the end, and you must work to pay off your trip. Yes, and I apologize. And, and Kim, we appreciate you calling in from work. When I first heard you talking at the beginning, I'm like, why is she talking so quietly? And then I realized that you probably didn't want anyone else at work to hear you calling. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, ponchos become can become your own personal sauna line. We just spent a whole show talking about put on the poncho and go out into the parks to enjoy them in the rain. So I guess that that didn't work perfectly for you. <laughs> but that's a good tip for listeners. If you're worried about, you know, the poncho becoming a sauna, you can go to your local outdoor store and invest in higher quality rain gear that will breathe easier, um, but you're going to pay for it. But if that's important to you, it might be worth the price. Well, the other thing that you can do is, um, you know, don't snap down the sides 
of the poncho and just let it uh, flap, and that'll have better uh, airflow through. Or just don't wear a poncho. Well, there's that too. And also, we will look forward to seeing your trip report, but also we will remind you, especially in light of all the wonderful dining experiences you had, don't forget to visit uh, the user review section at Mouse Planet and leave your uh, reviews of all those restaurants. It's that and, easy, and, and Cam. And resorts, because you stayed at multiple resorts. You started at uh, All-Star Music, was it, or Movies? I don't remember which All-Star it was, but you started at an All-Star and you finished at uh, French Quarter. So we'd love to see reviews of those as well. And, Kim, we, um, I forgive you for not staying at Pop Century. It's okay. Well, you don't know. It might have been booked. Well, or it, it could be, that she, be. Or it could be that she's working to complete her uh, tour of all Disney resorts. And therefore, she had to stay there at All-Star. So there. Well, I, I have... You know what, Mark? I have a feeling Kim's going to call back <laughs> and tell me the answer one way or the other. It would not surprise me. <laughs> okay. Um, in last week's show notes in our uh, columns general forum on our mousepad discussion forums, um, I had a posted a little note offering bonus points for anyone who could spot me in the front page photo the day that the podcast was published. Um, we got an email from Kelly Z who wrote, isn't that you in the bright orange slicker? Before I read your bonus points quote, I thought to myself, that guy looks like Mark G. Spooky. Have a fantastic day. Uh, yep, that, that was me in the uh, orange poncho. Made it a little easier because I was the only orange poncho in a sea of yellow, which kind of goes with our tip last week of buying ponchos before you leave home. Uh, we had a whole bunch of different ponchos of varying colors. I was wearing the orange that day. Um, and I'll note that the first one to get it... Um, Mike Sheeran, uh, Mr. Abominable, who um, we heard earlier on the uh, subs portion of the show, um, posted within just an, a couple of hours of me posting the show notes, um, asking if um, I wore the orange slicker, uh, the orange poncho to stand out. Did I plan it that way? And, um, of course, my response was, of course, that's why I wore that orange poncho four years ago. You know, just with that particular purpose in mind. <laughs> Mark, yeah. what are we doing giving out points? Are we like, whose line is it anyway? Uh, the points don't matter, but we'll give them out? Yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, then, Mark, I give you a million points. <laughs> For having the foresight to wear an orange poncho four years ago? Exactly. We have another email from Kyle. He writes, Hi, Mike and Mark. My wife and I are looking at some ideas of what we can do for our honeymoon. We've looked into buying one of the three Magic Away packages. We haven't been to Disney World since we were both very little and don't know the prices too well. Are these packages a good deal? If so, which one would you suggest? Have either of you done these packages or know anyone who has? Thanks, Mike and Mark. Well, we actually received this email before last week's show, but I have not done any of the current Magic Earway packages. I don't know if you have either, Mike. For Mousefest, I did um, one of the Magic. Well, I did one of the like make your own Magic Earway packages, but it was just a basic one that includes like the 
um, Planet Hollywood meal and some photos and some pins, but um, and a couple extra things, but nothing like big, like the main three. All right. Well, so what we did was, well, now I'll also point out that when I was at Walt Disney World on my honeymoon, uh, we got what at the time was called the gold key card package, which basically was, I guess, the equivalent of the gold or platinum package now. Basically, everything was included. Dinner shows, horseback, I guess it would be platinum, horseback riding, every anything that we wanted to do, uh, watercraft rentals, and it was a load of fun. We had a wonderful time. But, of course, that was nearly 20 years ago, and uh, prices are quite different now. So what we did was we said, we really don't know about planning this kind of a trip, but we know somebody who does, and we got in touch with Sue Pizzaturo of Small World Vacations. Of course, Small World Vacations is Mass Planet's preferred Disney travel provider at www.vacations.com. And Sue sent me a note back saying that uh, Mary Waring of Mouse Savers has created a new site called mouseweddings.com. It includes lots of helpful ideas regarding setting up a wedding, honeymoon, anniversary, or vow renewal. And um, we have a link to the specific location uh, discussing honeymoons at Walt Disney World. And then Sue said, When we help honeymooners, we usually recommend a deluxe resort or a studio at a DVC resort. Adults traveling alone can relax and enjoy the amenities at these resorts. Beach Club Villas are my favorite due to their proximity to Epcot, boardwalk, pool, recreation, atmosphere, and the array of restaurants at the resort. We strongly recommend the dining plan for honeymooners. They are more inclined to sit down for a leisurely meal each evening. There are plenty of romantic choices like Mexico, California Grill, Jico, etc. At $38.99 per adult per night, the dining plan includes one snack, one counter service meal, and one table service meal. The table service meal includes beverage, appetizer, main course, dessert, tax, and tip. You can use your dining features according to your plans. You can eat two counter service meals in one day and then two table service the next. You can also use the dining plan for room service. It's very flexible. And then she gave a link to a list of dining plans included in the Magic Your Way dining plan. And then said, Honeymooners often set up a couple spa treatment at Saratoga Springs Resort and Spa. If they would like to do spa treatments, Cirque du Soleil, tours, recreation, private fireworks crews, and have all meals included, even Victoria and Albert's, they might consider the Platinum Plan available only at the Deluxe and DVC resorts. And she gave a another link explaining what was included in each of the 2007 Magic Your Way packages. And she wrapped it up saying, Hope this info helps your listeners. Let me know if you have any questions. Now, we'll put uh, each of those links that Sue sent us into the show notes. But I would say that uh, that's pretty much everything that Sue said is uh, spot on. You know, you're going to want to spend a lot of quiet time. And uh, you may or may not want to do all sorts of special stuff that is not part of a normal Disney vacation because it's your honeymoon. Uh, Of course, since you haven't been to Disney since you were both very little. It's also possible that you might prefer to spend more time in the parks and less time doing the the out-of-the-ordinary things because 
you just want to refamiliarize yourselves with the parks and see a lot of attractions because you haven't seen them in a long time. So that would mean that the Platinum Plan may be less appropriate for what you're looking to do. But definitely, I think the Dining Plan, regardless of which plan you choose, the Dining Plan would be you know, a good idea. And uh, if you're not if you're not planning on leaving Disney property, the Magic Your Way packages are really good because they give you everything at a single price. And the, the pricing is pretty good, especially if you can find it when they're running a discount, then it's even better. But uh, that's, that's my take on it. Mike, you have anything to add? Um, a couple things, although I've never had a honeymoon at Disney World. Or elsewhere. I've talked a lot... Yes. I've talked to a lot of honeymooners. Uh, a couple of things that I would definitely, definitely recommend above all else is work with a Disney specialist travel agent. Um, if that happens to be Sue or another Disney specialist, make sure you work with a Disney specialist travel agent. It'll cost the same, and believe me, it'll pay off in the long run. They'll make sure your vacation is so much more magical for that once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I would have to disagree with Mary and say I would recommend the Grand Floridian Spa over the Saratoga Springs Spa for couples just because of the way the spa rules and the spa is laid out. Um, I would say Grand Floridian is a little bit more of a couple-friendly or couple-promoting um, spa setting, if that makes any sense. But if you work with a Disney specialist travel agent, uh, they should be able to give you more details about both spas and um, you can... Make up your own mind. And if you decide to go with our sponsor, you can find Small World Vacations at www.vacations.com. Our next email comes from Stanton Wong, who is a longtime Mouse Planet reader. Um, I think that we first corresponded when he sent me a response to one of my earliest columns, when I first started writing for Mouse Planet over four years ago. Um, Stanton writes, I love the podcast, especially the interviews and stuff, other than what is just posted on the homepage. Below are some suggestions. Music. I know you can't use Disney music, but any music would be nice. Custom created possibly too. Um, patter. It's a bit dry and monotone sounding. More passion or tone inflection in your voices would be great. Better than in the past, but room for improvement. Topics. I like the featured attractions, but would like to get more insider info, not just reading the ride stats, stuff like hidden items, imagineered inventions, I spy, original plans, broken effects, updated effects, cast member info, etc. And trivia. I love the trivia segments. Here are some questions. And uh, because we're running really long this show, I'm not going to run through these questions now, but we've got maybe a dozen and a half questions here that perhaps we'll use on a future show. So, first off, Stanton, thanks for the uh, thanks for the input. Yes, we definitely need to get back to looking for music. The person who had offered to compose some for us, I have not heard from in a while. I'll have to drop him a note, and if not, see if we can line somebody else up. Uh, Patter, well, you know, we're... We're, we're trying to sound uh, as, as interesting as we can, but then talking about reading the ride stats under topics makes me think that you're still back in the uh, early episodes because we stopped reading 
all the information off of the page and going more to yeah, a discussion have. of our preference quite a while ago. So hopefully um, mm-hmm. the the patter portion has uh, improved quite a bit since uh, the the episodes that you were listening to as well. And again, the trivia we will uh, get to um, we will get to those questions in a future episode um, when we are not. Uh, following up such a uh, lengthy uh, submarine voyage segment. We have another email from Jen. She writes, Can you share a review for one of the moderately priced resorts? <laughs> well, um... I don't, hey, I don't pick them. Mark does all that. <laughs> yep. Well, we've been trying to mix things up, and, um, well, we had, we had a low-end deluxe on... Uh, on this show, but we will, um, we will, when we get back to a Walt Disney World review, we will, uh, see if we can go to a moderate, actually, no, you know what, I think that we already did do, um, Port Orleans, didn't we? I don't think we officially did Port Orleans, but remember last week we had the question, well, what was our favorite value, moderate and deluxe, and DVC, and why? And we kind of covered like a whole gambit well, of well, different well, Hang on, let me let me uh, bring up my notes here because I seem to remember that we did um, either French Quarter or Riverside in an earlier show. Yes, we did Port Orleans. I guess it's I guess they're categorized as a single resort in uh, the review system, but in our April 5th show uh, about is Disney overbuilding hotels, we covered uh, the Port Orleans resorts. So uh, that, <laughs> that that's a funny that's a funny resort um, review on that topic. Oh, oh, just because you know there was a chance it was going to be closing and then it opened, then they extended it and refurbished it. It just that hotel has a lot of drama to it. That's all. Yep. But in any case. Uh, that is show number 13 if you want to go back we will eventually get we'll do more we will eventually uh get to Coronado Springs and to um Caribbean Beach but uh for now we are we have done Port Orleans and uh we will do more moderates in the future but thanks thanks for the comment and um we will take care of that and that'll wrap it up for the lengthy listener feedback segment this week. But we're not complaining. No. Keep those cards and letters coming, because especially if uh, we split the show in three, we're going to need to make sure that we fill a listener feedback show every week with a half an hour full of uh, listener feedback. So keep those cards and letters coming. Uh, <laughs> and how do you uh, send us listener feedback, you may ask? Well, you can send your feedback to podcast at mouseplanet.com or you can call in a voicemail to 1-866-939-2278. And, of course, if you'd like to comment some more on our plans to split the show into multiple shows to be published throughout the week so that you'll never be without uh, Mouse Station, please let us know what you think about it. And let us know what you think about our uh, proposed uh, breakdown of how those shows would be split. And if you have a magical moment, my favorite topic, that you would like to share, 
You can email it to stories at mouseplanet.com or call our toll-free feedback line. Any magical moment stories will also be considered for inclusion in the cast space column on the Mouse Planet website. Okay, once again, we are going to point you to our listener survey. Uh, we're getting close to the end of uh, our uh, campaign to ask you to fill the survey out. Uh, there's a link near the top of the podcast page. Remember that we're especially interested in hearing about how you listen to the show as far as whether you download it to your computer and listen there or if you listen on an MP3 player or, or um, you know, whether you subscribe or, or not or how much of the show do you listen to and then what is important to you about the show and how satisfied are you with it. Those are the things that we really uh, want to know so that we can help to improve the show for you. So, again, that link is near the top of the podcast page at mouseplant.com slash podcast. It'll probably take you about 10 minutes to go through the whole thing, and you can fill it out anonymously. So, thank you in advance. Also, please go out to the iTunes podcast directory, give us a good rating, and vote on the helpfulness of the other ratings. The more people that are able to find us on iTunes, the higher our rating is, the more fellow Walt Disney World fans will be able to find us. Also, if you wish to tell the world about your mouse planet and mouse station pride and you just can't hold it in anymore, Woo. you can tell you can tell us in voicemail and email, but better yet show us and show the world by visiting our Mouse Planet Cafe Press store at cafepress.com slash mouse planet. You know what, Mark? I've been thinking about something. Yeah. You know, we have this show and our listeners get value out of it. You know? Mm-hmm. So why don't we do what the Walt Disney Company does and we can have shareholders. We can our listeners can donate and they can get a share or a stake in our show. And then they'll be able to, you know, sponsor it and have so many shares. You know, that's an idea. Um but- except for the fact that Mouse Station is wholly owned by Mouse Planet, and we can't sell shares in Mouse Planet. And there's one other issue uh, that I thought of. You know what that would be? What? You know, if we had shareholders, you know, the, the shareholders would have to w- have an annual meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And they would get to vote on issues and bring up issues, you know, at the annual meeting. And then they'd and, get you know, rid of us. Yeah, that first <laughs> thing they would do is vote us out! <laughs> So that would never work because, you know, they would vote us out and replace us with um, Greg's dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gunner with his uh, voice recognition software. So in lieu of being able to buy shares to the Mouse Station or Mouse Planet, go to cafepress.com slash mouseplanet and you can own a wearable piece of Mouse Planet history. Hey, I got an idea. If you If you actually go and buy a mouse station shirt and take a picture of yourself wearing it in the parks, we will get it in the show notes. How's that? Heck, heck if you take a picture of yourself wearing it at, at all, we'll get it in the show notes. I'll do you one better. All right, that'll work. <laughs> okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. Don't forget to visit mouseplanet.com for the complete park updates every Monday and fresh content every weekday. For more Disney news, check out our Mouse Planet Watch podcast, which is also available from our podcast page at mouseplanet.com slash podcast. You'll find our show notes in the Columns General Forum on our Mousepad discussion forums. They're also linked from the podcast page. We'd like to thank our West Coast reporter, 
Adrian Vincent Phoenix, as well as our sound editor and audio engineer, Stephen Ng. Next week, we'll have an interview with Greg Airbar, a marketing writer for the Walt Disney World, whose book, Mousetracks, the story of Walt Disney Records, is a great read with lots of great stories gathered from interviews with many Disney legends. Until then, I am Mike Demopoulos, reminding you that it takes people to make the dream a reality. And I'm Mark Goldhaber, reminding you to live the magic every day. See you next week. See you next week.